Um, good morning. How's everyone doing? Um, it's good to be here again with all of you. Um, I love when you get to hear from somebody who knows what they're talking about on a topic. And Dr. Joe just sharing about his experience as an obstetrician and just, man, he knows what he's talking about. And just the science is clear, right? Like we are, there's something special about creation. There's something special about humanity. Um, there's this... There's this sense of the divine within us, right, that God has placed in us. And, um, and this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and following. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be in the Bible a lot this morning. Um, last week, Pastor Eric went through the six days of creation with all of you, and he did such a good job of pointing out the rhythm of those six days, where day one, he, he speaks and there's light, right? He separates the light from the darkness, and then on day four, he creates these luminaries, or the sun and the moon, to rule over this light and darkness. And then Day two, he separates the waters from the waters, and you have sky, and you have seas. And then on day five, he creates the birds and the fish to rule over the sea and the skies. And then on day three, dry land appears. And on day six, he creates the land animals to rule over the land. And then, as he so beautifully articulated, there's this deviation in the Hebrew grammar. Something happens, right? There's this pattern, and you guys were in the midst of a joke, right? He told a knock-knock joke, and, and the whole knock-knock, banana, knock-knock, banana, and then orange, aren't you glad I didn't say banana? Because that's exactly what the text does, because it just shoots off into a completely new direction when we start to read about the creation of humanity. There's something distinct about the creation of humanity. And, and either there's something distinct or we're the punchline of the joke. I can't really tell. Sometimes it's hard to see that as we go through the world. But something's going on in the text. And it's so incredible when experience lines up with what we see in the Bible. Like there's something exciting about that. And as Dr. Joe was sharing about what it means to, to, to be witnessing the birth of thousands of children. How many? That was... That was that was incredible. Um, <laughs> that was funny. Um, but right, when, when our experience just matches up with Scripture, man, that's exciting. That's exciting. So let's take a look. Let's jump in and let's see what the Lord has. Let me pray really quick. We've been praying like every 30 seconds, and I just, why not continue the tradition? Um, Father in heaven, thank you for grace. Thank you for your word. Um, I pray now that as we look into your text, Father, that, that we, would, we would see you more clearly um, and that we would understand who we are uh, more clearly, Lord God, so that we might better serve you. Um, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So basically what I'm getting at this morning is that to bear God's image is to reign and work from a place of fellowship and rest with God. To bear God's image is to reign and work from a place of fellowship and rest with God. So verse 26, it starts off. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our 
likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the creeping thing, um, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, if you remember the other animals, the other pieces of creation, they were made according to their kind. They were made according to their kind. But see, Genesis 1.26 deviates from the script because no longer are we being made according to our kind, but we're being created, humanity, in the image and likeness of God. Already there's a difference. And we see a difference, right? Like if those of you who have animals, pets, cats, dogs, whatever you might have, like they're not the same as us. They're different. And they're wonderful, and they're, they're cute, and they're adorable. Sometimes they're not because maybe they, they don't know how to like, use the bathroom properly. Like Whatever the case may be, they're different from you and I. They're different from you and I. And the text talks about that. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, one thing we need to understand about image-bearing especially in the context of when this text was written, in the ancient Near East, to bear God's image is, is a royal sort of thing. Right? It means that you're dealing with some sort of king or, or, or ruler. Right? Because in the ancient Near East, what people would do is that they would set up images of their gods in temples and the kings of those particular lands would be said to have the image of God. So what the text is doing here, it's kind of shifting that a little bit. It's like, no, 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 not just kings and queens and people of this upper echelon of status get to bear the image of God, but actually male and female, I created them, all of humanity bears the image of God. So there's this royal decree spoken over God's creation when he says, I will make them in my image and in my likeness. That's really important that we catch that. There's something royal about humanity. That's important. I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. So the text continues, right? It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And even just to talk a little bit about like this whole idea of image and likeness. Like is there a difference between image and likeness? Not really. It's kind of like this uh, it's thing that we see in Hebrew poetry. It's called parallelism. It's just kind of getting at the same thing. It's just kind of doubling down, if you will. Um, it's image and likeness. Those are kind of the same thing um, in the text here. And it says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. So dominion is another clue for us that to bear God's image comes with some sort of authority. Right? It comes with some sort of authority. When we bear God's image... We have authority over God's creation. That's what we were created to do. Remember the six days of creation, right? You had, you had the, you know, the light being separated from the darkness, and then you had the sun and moon ruling over. You had the, 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 the sea and the sky, and then you had the fish and the birds ruling over that. And then you had the land, and you had the animals ruling over that. And then we are created as this crescendo of creation to rule over all of it. Like, we are in charge. 
That's a big deal. That's important for us to recognize that we are in charge. And especially within this context, we are in the beginning. This is pre-fall. That means sin has not entered into the world yet. And and the people who are being created, which we're going to see in Genesis chapter 2, because we're going to peek in on that for a few minutes in a minute. But Adam and Eve are the two beings that are created, and they are representative kings and queens underneath God, ruling over the world. Ruling over the world. They're in charge. And they are speaking and living and working on behalf of God. And they are to have dominion. They're in charge of the birds. They're in charge of the fish. They're in charge of the, the creeping things, the beasts of the field. They're in charge of all of it. Sadly, in a few weeks, we'll see that they, they drop the ball in their authority. But we're not there, so I don't want to give us bad news right now. Let's just talk about the good stuff. Um, they're given dominion. Another thing I want to talk about, and this is just, we're still in, chapter, and still in verse 26. There's way too many things to talk about in one verse, and it gets tiring. Um, then God said, let us make man, and that's confusing. Anyone's ever been confused by the whole let us thing? Is that confusing? It's like, what do you mean us? So there's different views on this. Um, it's, it's not really super important that we wrap our minds fully around what this us means. Some people argue that it's um, a, a discussion about the Trinity, other people argue that there's this divine council that exists um, in heaven, right? Both those views are well within the realm of orthodoxy, um, so we're not going to argue about it. It doesn't seem necessary. But the point is, is that God is the one who does the creating. So verse 27, so God in the singular created man in his own image. Right? So while he's having this discussion with whomever he might be having this discussion with, whether it's a Trinitarian thing or whether he's having a conversation with the sons of God or the divine council, what ends up happening in verse 27, God in the singular is the, actually the one who does the creating. Then God, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. So the point is, is that we represent God on this earth. We represent God on this earth. When I was, like in middle school, I played roller hockey. Um, I was like a medium player, right? So like I got the job done, but I wasn't great. My parents would come, they'd drop me off, and, and I'd play. And, and in those days, I didn't exactly speak kindly to people. So there were these instances where I'd be in the corner with, and in hockey, like if the puck goes into the corner, you go into the corner, you try to get the puck from the other guy, and people are like throwing elbows in the corner. And, and almost without fail, every time I was in that corner, the things that would come out of my mouth were atrocious. Like, like there's people like in like the dregs of society and like the worst parts of like maybe a prison cell that spoke kinder than I did to these other 12-year-olds that I was in the corner with. And I remember there was this one point where I was in the corner and all sorts of things are flying out of my mouth and I see both my mother and my father just standing there looking at me just like, what are you doing? Why are you saying these things? And they just kind of like backed away like, oh, we're not, we're not, we don't know this guy, right? And so I bring that up because what was happening on the rink in sixth grade is that I was not representing Scalambros well. That's my last name is Scalambro. I was not representing my family well. 
I was living in light of some different story that they never taught me. They were teaching me one story, and I was like, yeah, yeah, no, but I'm going to do this. And, and right, we, we do that, right? Like, you ever tell your kids, like, don't embarrass me, or your, your parents ever tell you don't embarrass me? I embarrass them, like really significantly embarrass them. And man, many other times I embarrass them throughout my teenage years because that's what teenagers do, I guess. Um, But the point is, is that when we are made in the image of something, we represent that something. We show the world what that something is like. Images in the ancient Near East, if they were idols in temples, they showed the world what their God was like. See, we don't worship graven images as followers of Jesus because we are the image. We actually are the image. And the Garden of Eden is set up like a temple. That's how the story kind of unfolds. It's this garden temple, and God places humanity, his image, in the temple. Right? There's all these ancient Near Eastern sort of overlaps happening here. And the point is, is that we are the images that the world looks at so that they might know what God is like. We get to show the world what God is like. That's, that's good news. That's good news. So if we're in the image of God, that first point on your outline is images of What? Right? We're images of God. And, and as we walked through the narrative of Genesis 1 thus far, there's something about God that's being revealed. Right? He's, he's hovering. Right? The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, it says in um, verses 1 and 2. Um, and it says that he's hovering over the waters, over the face of the deep. And, and, and if we understand what, what's happening there is that that deep is, is this chaotic mess that God is hovering over. It's this chaotic mess. One commentator actually um, translates it as topsy-turvy. It's just a mess. And what does God start to do? He starts to bring order to the chaos. So if we're made in the image of this orderly God bringing order to chaos, then that, that infers or implies something about what we are to be about in this world. And as we look around, there's chaos. There's chaos wherever we turn. And God is calling us as his image bearers, representative kings and queens over all of creation to bring order to the chaos that is around us. I think of, I think of Andrew and, and starting this, this recovery group, right? Like that's bringing order to chaos. There's something wrong in Tom's River. And... And the church is stepping into it. The church is is leaning into it and and attempting by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, to bring order to something that's chaotic. This is what it means to bear God's image. This is what it means to be those representative kings and queens over creation. We show the world what God is like. We show the world what God is like. And there's something glorious about that. 
Right? Our next point is the glory of humanity. Verse 27, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I want to flip to Psalm 8. In Psalm chapter 8, and you can get there if you'd like. When we talk about the image of God, we're talking about something glorious. It says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 2, you have, um, excuse me, you have set your glory above the heavens. Verse 2, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, already we start hearing echoes of creation here. There's echoes of creation. The psalmist wants us to think about that first chapter of Genesis. What is man, verse 4, that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You have set him a little lower than the heavenly beings and, listen to it, crowned him with glory and honor. And crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field. We'll see in a couple of weeks in Genesis chapter 3 that there was one particular beast of the field that didn't go under the foot of man. The birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There's something glorious about the image of God. Dr. Joe shared extensively about that glory, how he got to see that glory. And if you've been in the delivery room, you also had an opportunity to see a picture of that incredible moment when the baby comes into the world. And there's something miraculous about that. There's something so wonderful about that. And this understanding of humanity begs us to look at every single aspect of creation and stand in awe that God has created humanity in such a way that it bears his image, that there is inherent worth and value in every single human being. John Calvin says it like this. He says, it's a lengthy quote, so follow me. Love of neighbor is not dependent upon the manner of men, but looks to God. In other words, it's not dependent on like how people are, right? We've, we've met some crusty people in our life, right? It's not dependent on that. The Lord commands all human beings without exception to do good. Yet the great part of them are most unworthy if they be judged by their own merit. But here, Scripture helps in the best way when it teaches that we are not to consider that men merit themselves, but to look upon the image of God in all men, to which we owe all honor and love. Therefore, what Whatever person you meet who needs your aid, you have no reason to refuse to help him. Say he's a stranger, but the Lord has given him a mark that ought to be familiar to you. 
by the virtue of the fact that God forgives you to despise your own flesh. In other words, humanity, regardless of race, gender, creed, age, etc., all bear the image of God. And while that image might be marred, there is still innate worth and value in each and every individual we come in contact with. That's so important that we understand that, especially as followers of Jesus. That as we look out, even the people that frustrate us most, and I think maybe a question that we can have in front of us is, is who are we willing to dispose of to make our lives a bit easier? Who are we willing to dispose of to make our lives a little bit easier? Who is getting in our way? And maybe there's people coming across your mind right now. Maybe there's groups of people coming across your mind right now. We need to wrestle with this. Because people are frustrating. People are hard. We have opinions about different groups of people, different types of people. And what God is telling us in Genesis chapter 1 and in Psalm 8 and at a variety of other places throughout the Bible is that there's something distinct about humanity. You can't treat them like animals. And man, like the abortion thing is so obvious. It's so obvious. And as followers of Jesus, we need to speak into that. We need to speak into issues of justice across the board. And that's one that's sitting right in front of us. And I want to I take a second, too, that maybe there's people in this room who've had an abortion or have experienced that. And, and, that's, and, and that's so important that you understand you are not beyond the grace of God. That does not separate you from the love of God. Our, our humanity, just as fallen individuals, that's what separates us from, the, from, from, the, from fellowship with God. But in Christ, we're brought near. And that regardless of anything we might have done in our past, there's forgiveness. There's grace. That's so important because we can sometimes sit here and, and hear things and, and we can start heaping condemnation onto ourselves over things we might have done in the past. But the beauty of forgiveness, the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ is that that's forgiven. That's forgiven. In Christ, we are new creations. That's what Paul told the church in Corinth. And, and, and it's been preserved in Scripture for us so that we might, we might have that encouragement that we are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. That's so important because we've messed up. We've messed up. We've done things. We've done maybe horrific things. And, and, and I don't want you to start listing things in your brain right now. And I hope you're not listing things in your brain. In fact, what I hope you're doing is I hope you're looking to Christ right now. As those things are coming, I'm hoping that you're fighting that with the cross. Because we can do that, man. We can just like pile things on top of us. And we can just sit there and say, man, but I don't, like, I can't pray today. I can't. I can't, no, I can't do that because, like, my life, 
But there's grace. There's grace. The glory of humanity is something that is so evident in the text. It's so evident in the text. Genesis continues. And when something's at the beginning of your Bible, it's harder to get to sometimes. It's like you have to flip through the table of contents. and um, It continues, verse 28 and following. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And this is really cool, right? And God said, and God said, Behold, I've given you, right? He's talking with the people. He's talking with his creation right now. Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. He's having a conversation. Catch that, right? So important when we read the scriptures that we read it slowly because we can gloss over things. He's having a conversation. Before we even jump into what he says, he's talking with them. There's, an, there's a relationship there. There's some sort of fellowship that's occurring right now, like right out of the gate. And what's so cool is that he says, and behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps onto earth, everything that has breath, the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so. See, in the ancient Near East, gods didn't do that for their people. Gods didn't do that for their people. People were made to just like serve the gods and, and make sure they had enough. But what God does, he's like, no, no, I'm giving you enough. See, there's something, like there's an argument happening here between, between like Yahweh's people and the rest of the known world at the time. There's like a little debate. It's like, whose God's going to win? It's like, well, our God actually cares for us. That's important. That's a really big deal. He gives them everything for them to enjoy. Everything for them to enjoy. And he's speaking with humanity. There's this relationship that they have now. He forms a relationship with the people. And, and another thing that we need to understand about the image of God is that those of us who are made in the image of God were made for God's presence. We were made for fellowship with God. And we see that right out of the gate here. That God creates humanity in his image and then he engages in a relationship with them. That's what we're for. We are there to be friends with God. And it's from that relationship that he calls us to work or to rule. Um, theologians call this um, vice regency, right? It means you're a representative king or a representative queen. But, but we don't work from, well, we're not supposed to yet, right? We'll see this later. We're not to work from the sweat of our brow. We're to work from a position of rest and fellowship with God. 
We're to work from that. This week, uh, in, um, in some of your questions, in your community group questions, I ask this question, if I can find it. Adam and Eve are to rule and serve from their relationship with God. And then I say this, where have you noticed that you might be serving from the wrong place? Um, whether that's pride, whether that's an inability to say no, jealousy of another person's gifting, where are you working from the wrong place? Where are you serving from the wrong place? And what God is doing here, he's saying you work from, from a position of fellowship and rest. Work from my power. Work from face-to-face fellowship with me. Let's flip to chapter 2 for a second because something happens. He goes, uh, we have like these two creation stories, but it's more of like a different perspective of the same event. Starting in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden, garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made, spring, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. Verse 15, jump down. The Lord then took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. But he breathes the breath of life into him. And it's from that breath of life that he's now to go into the garden and work and keep. And these words, if you flip to John chapter 20, something funny happens. In John chapter 20, this is after the resurrection. Jesus is is talking with his disciples, and it says, he appears to his disciples, verse 19 and following, in chapter 20 of the Gospel of John, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you already. That's like, how did you do that, Jesus? Um, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw, saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So what's happening here is that Jesus breathes the breath of life, the Spirit of God. He breathes on his disciples, and immediately they're given this authority to go and serve the kingdom. Because we'll get to Genesis chapter 3 in a few weeks where this whole image of God thing breaks down, but what happens when Jesus comes on the scene in Colossians, I'm all over the place, in Colossians chapter 1, it says this in verse 15, he, speaking to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. See, the image gets broken But then the image gets restored in Jesus Christ. And we then, as followers of Jesus, those who submit to the lordship of Christ, are now brought into union with him. And we now bear 
Jesus' image once again in a way that we were always intended to do so. And now we have authority because what happens at Pentecost? What pours out on God's people at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit give? Authority. Second Pentecost with Cornelius, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and then they're sent out. What happens to Jesus at the beginning of his ministry before he goes into the wilderness? He's baptized and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And then what does he do? He goes out into the wilderness to wage war against the serpent. We bear that image. We bear that image. There's something different about the Christian who bears God's image. There is something different because we have been brought into union with Christ. And that's everything. That means everything he gets, we get. One commentator says it like this. He says, on the sixth day, God's work is completed with the creation of man And on the seventh day, God rests from his labors. This is not the end of the development of creation, however. Although God has withdrawn from the work of creation, he's put an image of himself on the earth with a mandate to continue. The earth had been completely conformed, um, unformed and empty in the six-day process of development. God had formed and filled it, but not completely. People must now carry on the work of development by being fruitful. They must fill it even more. By subduing it, they must form it even more. Mankind as God's representatives on the earth carry on where God left off. And being fruitful and multiplying looks a little bit different for New Testament followers of Jesus. It's not so much about having lots of babies, which is fine, But that's not really the goal of followers of Jesus. The followers of Jesus now, what it means to to bear fruit is to go out into the world making disciples. It's It's what Daniel's doing in Point Pleasant right now, planting a church. It's it's making it so that this place and these people show the world around us what God's like. So that they might look in and say, there's something about that that I want. There's something about those people that are different. And and that's why it's so important as we live our lives and as we're wandering through this world and we're imaging God and we're walking around in his likeness that we actually represent him correctly. Because we're either showing the world what God is truly like or we're giving him a really distorted image of it. Christians make those mistakes often, and we need to be careful. We can't, again, condemn ourselves when we make those mistakes, but we need to be aware that where we go, Jesus goes. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. We are representative kings and queens in Christ showing the world what God is like. And as we look out on all the broken images, that our heart would break with it and that we would care for the broken and that we would care for the lost and that we would care for the unborn and that we would care for those who are not getting justice when justice is required. That's what it means 
to live as the image of God. It's to be like Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this calling, this this massive calling, Lord, to live as your image bearers on the earth. To live in such a way that as the world looks at us, they get to see what God is like. Father, I pray that all of us would do that, Lord. And as we, as we partake of communion today, Lord, that that would be on our minds, Lord, that we would be contemplating these very things, Lord. We love you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.